also Sports Red Podcast. We're going to talk some more WNBA. And we're going to talk specifically about, like we just discussed a little bit, the safe and health and welfare of the players. And one particular player, Elena Deladon. From Delaware, University of Delaware, the reigning MVP um, for the Washington Mystics, who are the reigning champions of the WNBA. Her issue with the panel of physicians and the medical exemption in the WNBA is really, really, has really, really gotten under her skin. Um, And the headline for this is basically just this. In a surprising decision, the WNBA's designated panel of physicians denied 2019 league MVP Elena Deladon medical exemption from the 2020 season. Okay, she currently has Lyme disease and must forego her forego her salary if she sits out the season. So, again, I don't understand what the hierarchy of the WNBA is thinking. And if you don't know anything about the Lyme disease, I just know a little bit. Um, it's something that you cannot get rid of. There's no cure for it. Uh, at one particular mention, if you really want to hear it, and this will probably make your jaw drop, she has to take 64 pills a day, which, in my opinion, I think warrants a medical exemption. Um, we have now a condensed period of time for them to play games. And the difference for the WNBA is the fact that their season hadn't started yet. Okay, with the W with the NBA, it started, then it had to be halted and postponed, you know, and then they have a restart. For the WNBA, this is like their regular season. There's no restart or anything like that. This is just an abridged version of their regular season. And for this to be considered by them a non-medical exemption is a little crazy to me. Uh, if you will, I just feel like for someone that has to take that many pills a day, it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous strain on her body physically with playing, practicing. We saw the food. So the nourishment is a tough part as well. And they're also saying that if she was to sit out the season, then she wouldn't get paid, which I think is a crock of crap. Uh, I think that the panel needs to rethink this and be, or maybe even be restructured. Um, you know, it, it says the independent panel of doctors, the league appointed to review high risk cases, have advised that I'm not high risk and should be permitted to play in the bubble, uh, Deladon announced in a statement. Lyme disease, for some reason, is not included in the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's list of underlying conditions that could put someone at an increased risk for severe illness from COVID-19. So, just so you know, if you didn't already, I am no doctor. I don't work in the health professional field. So I don't really know 
but as I was doing my research and I kind of incorporate the conditions of the Lyme disease and the fact that Elena Deladonna says that she has to take that ridiculous amount of pills every day. Now, mind you, I said 64 pills a day, not 64 pills a week, 64 every two weeks, 64 pills a day, which when you first hear that, you think, nah, there's no effing way somebody has to take that many pills in one day. How? How? How do you get that done every day? And then you incorporate it to a professional athlete who has a vigorous a rigor a vigorous uh physical schedule and still has to take this medication per day this amount of medication per day if you will to me it's utterly ridiculous how she couldn't be a special case if you will you know like this i just read to you that the centers for disease control and prevention don't put that put her as a risk i don't understand how i think she is a risk um like i said you know you have to take this much medicine for one particular person each day as a physical as an athlete with the rough schedule that you have the wear and tear on your body between games and practices and just staying in shape throughout the season and again, like I said, it's going to be intensified a little bit more than their normal time frame of their season because now we're condensed. And it's just strange to see how this is affecting her. You know, it's really, really different. Um, you know, allowing players with underlying conditions to opt out with pay and thus served as an extra precautionary measure. And it alleged or supposedly ensured that no player would feel pressured to endanger her health in order to receive full compensation for the 2020 season. So I'm just going to take a second and let that marinate for you all for a second, and then I'm going to read it again, that one particular part. And you heard what I just said. You, do, you know what I said. The, the, they don't consider that a, um, her a high risk because of Lyme disease. But now it says they say that the opt-out with pay is a precautionary measure, which I think fits for Elena Deladon and her situation. And then they, state, then, they state, then they state that it ensured that no player would feel pressured to endanger her health. Well, there you have it right here. She's upset because she feels pressured and endangered about her health. And if she doesn't play, she won't get paid. So you contradict what you say right there when you tell her that she has to play. She doesn't get the medical exemption. When you previously or you put out there in the initial stages that no athlete would feel pressured to endanger her health in order to receive full compensation. Wow. It, it, it kind of takes me back to last week when we talked about uh, Ms. Loeffler of the WNBA with her contradictory comments. And I think 
even with the new CBA for the WNBA, which the players agreed to, and of course, there were some things in there that were improved. So I can understand why the players agreed on it. But like we said, this is a new fold into the mix. Like I said, something that was out of our control, a pandemic, a virus, which has now mutated so it can survive. If you didn't already know that, that's why there's been a spike in cases all over the country and why places, cities in the country have uh, began to close places once again. Uh, if you didn't know, the city of Philadelphia, no public gatherings initially of 50 or more until February, till the end of February 2021. A week or a few days after that announcement, it was dropped down to 25 because of the spikes in cases around the nation. Uh, I was out Saturday and I saw a lot of restaurants who, or some restaurants who literally moved themselves outside, which was the start of the reopening, the dining outside. So a lot of them have literally moved restaurants outside where you go past, they have a parking lot, they have tables outside and it's set up in the parking lot. Um, I, I don't get it. I think the hierarchy of the WNBA needs to be revamped. Um, Dr. Ann Redding, the team physician for the Mystics, designated Deladon high risk while also clearing her to play is confusing and appears to go against the precautionary approach that decisions related to the coronavirus should demand. So, you have the specific team doctor who designated her higher risk, but also cleared her to play. Yeah, they had to get the what the F button on that. And I think I may... What the How do you clear someone to play after designating them high risk? Mind-boggling to me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't see how those things uh, go into play. Um, another quote was, and I quote... I know doctors don't always agree with each other and that there are different opinions on certain things within the medical community. And now I have a player who was in incredible, who was in an incredibly difficult situation because of the way things are lined up. So because of the screwed up way that this particular issue is being handled by the WNBA, you have a player who is suffering from their decisions. Uh, Elena Deladine also shared with ESPN, I love my team and we had an unbelievable season last year and I want to play. But the question is whether or not the WNBA bubble is safe for me. My personal physician who has treated me for Lyme disease for years advised me that I'm at high risk for contracting and having complications from COVID-19. The Mystics have indicated that they support Deladine. Mighty Mouse, what's going on? My friend, thanks for tuning in. Um, her head coach, 
Mike Thibault. As with all our players, and I quote, as with all our players, we have and will support Elena throughout this process. The health and well-being of our players is of the utmost importance. New Mystic Tina Char, new teammate Tina Charles, who also requested paid exemption for an underlying medical reason, is still awaiting the results of her evaluation. So, the WNBA and this determining players as high risk and then clearing them to play is is a, a mess. I don't understand how you have doctors with these particular at this level who in my opinion seem to be contradicting themselves and making this mistake if if you diagnose someone as higher risk there's no way you should clear them to play there's no way now especially a sport like basketball now I'll play devil's advocate a little bit and I'll say if it was something like tennis, I could understand because there's complete social distancing on a tennis. There's one versus one. There's a distance between the court and there's a net in between. So that social distancing is not as big a concern as the WNBA where you have five on five. So at any given time, you have 10 players on the court. Uh, these players are in very, very close proximity. Social distancing is not warranted in in basketball play. It, it, it can't happen the way it should. You can't have, excuse me, that six feet between everybody. It's like we used to joke and we say, basketball is a contact sport. So you can't say that someone's high higher risk or high risk and then turn around and clear them to play so to me underlying factors knowing what i know reading what i've read being around some of the people that i've been around kind of makes me and these are my thoughts only makes me believe that there was some type of pressure or there was some type of unfortunate guideline set out by the wnba executive executives to these team doctors and to these other physicians uh to have these teams play and i mean you know it, it sucks for elena deladon being in this position but again we know the whole premise it's about money ratings things of that nature and how would it look if the reigning mvp a star in the league superstar in the league did not play they, they thought about that part but they didn't care or they didn't think about the actual health of that particular person or that particular player so you know she feels betrayed and she's right and again I tell you again 64 pills a day there's no way and it's due to Lyme disease but there's no way in my opinion, that anyone who has to consume 64 pills a day to control whatever condition they have, whatever condition they're suffering from, and then still have to play in order to get paid. 
I think she should be granted the medical exemption. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it will. You know, I, I feel for her. And like I said, I was looking up at the WNBA because of the changes they initially made. But now with this, I have a little different outlook now. Um, it's changed. My outlook has changed a bit with this. So I am going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Sixers and the restart of the NBA. And if you haven't already heard, there has been a change with the Sixers. Uh, Brett Brown is experimenting with moving Shake Milton into the starting lineup as the point guard. Moving Ben Simmons to the four. Folks, I like it. I wish it had been done sooner. So I will be back on the other side once again on Facebook Live. You can chime in once I get started on that. And let me know what you think about that. It's your boy D. It's 11.37, 37 minutes past the 11 a.m. hour. You are tuned in to Sports Rap on Heat 100 Radio. Stay with me. Come back. Go get you something to drink. I know it's hot, so you should be in a cool place like I am. Go get you something to drink. Come back. Tune back in. And we're going to talk some Sixers. It's Ben Simmons moving to the four. Maybe even a little bit of that Al Horford switch to the bench as a role, a big, huge, or a big or huge role on that second unit. We'll see you on the other side in just a few minutes. Some Sixers. You know, I just gave you a little bit on the WNBA uh, and NBA comparison to the bubbles with the NBA restart 10 days away. We got scrimmages uh, coming up on Friday, starting with the Sixers versus the Grizzlies. 3.30 p.m. And like I said, I will let you know if I get wind of that uh, coming on or being televised. Ivan Robinson, thanks for tuning back in. So I want to talk now. Ah, my sister, I knew you would be here. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning to you as well. Now, I want to talk about the Sixers and their restart. And more specifically, the change that Brett Brown is imploring now or employing now in these training camp, this mini training camp for the restart. If you don't already know, there will be a change. Ben Simmons will move to the four in the starting lineup. Al Horford will go back to being a member of that second unit. And Shake Milton will be inserted into the starting lineup as the new point guard for now. Uh, folks, like I said, I'm here. Sports Rat Radio Show, the group page. Chime in if you have any questions, issues, or comments about what that is and what's going on with that. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, tell me just how you feel about it, whatever. Uh, I personally am on that bandwagon. I personally like that idea. I think that idea should have been tried during the season, during the regular season, uh, especially with the disparity that we had on the road before Ben Simmons got hurt when Shake had to play and Brett Brown saw something. But I just feel like that's something that you should have seen in practice 
with the guys because you see them in practice all the time. You should have seen some of that, some of those flashes. Um, I just believe that Kenny Wilson, thanks for tuning in. I just believe that, like I've always said, and people can chime in on this as well, and this is, like I said, everything that I give you folks are solely, solely my opinions on what I see, what I read, and what I take in. I personally have been saying for a long time now that Ben Simmons is not a point guard. He is playing the point guard position, if you will. I felt that going in when he was drafted and then they moved him to the point guard or had him playing the point guard, the ball in his hands that much, and I get it. His skill set, the things he can do at his size with the ball. Jackie Bridges, thanks for tuning in. Um, I, I I understand it, okay, trying it. But then we got caught up in, or a lot of people got caught up in this thing where now, yes, I, I've been telling people that Shawana forever. He's never been a point guard. And in my opinion, anybody that knows or understands basketball, Playing the point guard in the NBA is extremely difficult. And to be playing that for the first time at that level is also extremely difficult. So I think it's going to help Ben Simmons because, for one, now you don't have him chasing point guards around on the defensive end, which I think kind of takes away from his offense because he has to work and chase these guys, smaller guards around. I also think that it gives him an advantage over a lot of fours in the league currently because of his skill set, his size, and his athleticism. I think it will help Joel Embiid. They can go high-low with those guys, and they're interchangeable, I think, there. I think you could put either one of them at the high or either one of them at the low and be successful. I also think that the length of Shake Milton, who has played point guard, some knowledge there at that position can help in pick and roll situations. As most of us know now, the NBA is heavy, heavy on pick and roll play. I think now you have a very, very dangerous pick and roll situation with Ben Simmons and Shake Milton because like I said Ben Simmons can do so much with his athleticism his size and strength at that four position where it, it looks a little scary if you will the one burning question though that will probably come up is the fact that now Shake Milton is going to be incorporated into scouting reports and this goes back to uh right he's a two three sometimes four sometimes i agree uh shawana just chimed in and said that um i think now like i said the question is how will shake handle this because of his play while ben simmons was injured before the um postponement of the season he's going to be more incorporated into team scouting reports now than he was prior to Ben Simmons being hurt. 
So he has to be able to handle that and, and push through that, and we'll see what happens with that. But I also believe that with all the talk that we had about the Sixers, it was always a conversation about strengthening the bench, and the bench is always shaky. Well, now you have a veteran, Al Horford, who can, for all lack, for lack of a another word, he can just shore up, if you will, or start to solidify that second unit. He can be the leader on that second unit. And with his basketball IQ, his knowledge, I think that will help him. And I know people are going to say, but he's getting paid a crazy amount of money. I totally understand that. I, I do. Malik, what's going on, homie? I, I do understand that uh, his contract is very, very high. But with what's going on with the Sixers now, I think in some ways they have underachieved. Uh, like I said, and you can still play Al Horford at times with that starting lineup. You can still have Ben Simmons with the ball in his hands sometimes. But I think their half-court offense will improve because now it won't be as stagnant as it has been. I don't think they will struggle as much as they have in the past to score. Where now they have a variety of ways they can score. You've got Ben Simmons. You've got to play. And I also think that with Ben Simmons playing the four, it's going to be a little bit more difficult and a little risky to continue to try and double-team Joel Embiid. I think it also will open up some space for Tobias Harris, who I've said love his game, but I, I just felt like he needed to be more consistent. Uh, let's see. As Rwanda says, they all are being, are being paid crazy amounts of money, but the production level doesn't add up. A absolutely. Um, that, that's always a staple in, in a lot, in just about every sport. You're going to have, you're going to fall into that situation where guys are going to be paid so much money and then you're going to all have guys that are going to be paid money and their performance level is not up to the standards of you, if you will, of the amount of money that they're being paid. I, I totally agree with that. But in, in the Tobias Harris part of this equation, I think with the type of game that he has, this moving Ben to the four will help him. And because now he doesn't have to play the four. You know, ideally he was playing the three and the four a lot. So now he can, for most, for all intent purposes, kind of settle in at the three. But again, I think this will help him in a sense where he's going to get better looks, uh, better looks at shots, at shot attempts with this. Like I said, it's going to be difficult to now double team, or it's going to be very risky to double team Joel Embiid. And if you, I try to double team Ben Simmons who can post up as well uh Ben Simmons is a very willing passer very cerebral and like I always say one of the things I love about his game is he looks to always make the right basketball play so 
I think this will also help Jason Richardson. And now you have this length again. Well, they had the length there, but now you have the length being used in the right ways, in my opinion, right now. And it, it, it's a simple fact. Good morning, uh, Sabiba. The, no chill. What's going on? Good morning to you. It, it, it feels like Brett Brown has finally seen what could possibly be with the makeup of this roster that he has right now. There's a ton of talent on this roster. There were extremely high expectations going into the beginning of the season, you know, before it got postponed. It showed on the home court where they had the best record in the NBA, but it lacked off significantly on the road. I think this change is going to help. Like I said, a lot of times you saw that offense get stagnant uh, in the half-court sets. Now I think it'll be a little bit more active. And like me and Shawana both said, now you have uh, a player inserted that has played the point guard position, that understands a little bit more about playing the point guard position. And don't get me wrong, there's no knock, there's no knock to me. There's no knock from me towards Ben Simmons about his play. Uh, he took that challenge and was beginning to succeed at that challenge. But again, like I say, the point guard is one of the toughest, if not the hardest position to play in the NBA. And to be at that level and to play it for the first time, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be a lot of questions. You know, I, I, I divert back to the fact that a lot of people have been saying and been harping on him not shooting the three-pointer. Well, recently he's been shooting the three-pointer in practices, Ben, ben Simmons. Uh, Brett Brown has noted and been commented uh, in interviews that he shoots a ton of them and he's making a lot of them. So I'm sure you can always do this. You can go Google it. You can find the clips of him shooting a three-pointer. But here's my issue and here's my thing. I'm not upset about him shooting, about him not shooting the three. I think my disdain is him not shooting the ball enough. I think he needs to develop that mid-range jump shot, free throw line extended, maybe even a little teardrop because he's so quick with the ball and at his size – he has, he's usually at an advantage when he's in transition with the ball. More times than not, he'll be at an advantage. I also think that that will help his game. Um, I think that will improve his free throws because we all know point guard has the ball in his hands. I need my point guard, and this is my coach. This is my coaching hat coming out. I think my point guard. I need my point guard to be able to shoot free throws late in games. Um, I think if Ben Simmons can improve his free throw percentage to about 70, 72, start shooting that mid-range jump shot, I think we'll see a big difference. I think people will start to wean away from him not shooting that three-point shot. So, all in all, I think that this is a wonderful, wonderful idea for Brett Brown. A wonderful change, I think, to be made. And... I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to work out very well for the Sixers. And we will see. 
come Friday, how this plays out. We'll get our first look or we'll hear about our first look with this new starting lineup and that second unit. And I think it's going to be something special. It's just knowing what I know about the players that are on the team and knowing how I, I see basketball in my mind, how this change could be very, very helpful for the Sixers. And it makes that starting lineup, even with the switch of Al Horford not being in there, still makes that starting lineup a little scary uh, to start out with in the WNBA. I mean, I'm sorry, in the NBA, in this restart. One minute past the noontime hour. Going to take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to go through what has been labeled as the must-see games of the NBA restart. Sixers are involved. Lakers are involved in that. Talk about that in a few minutes. It's your boy D. You are tuned in to Sports Rap, Heat Money Radio. Catch me in a few minutes. We're going to talk best games or must-see games in the NBA schedule coming up in the restart. It's your boy. Stay tuned. Let's take him back. SAT scores and ACT scores were a huge part of eligibility requirements for the NBA. Christopher Scott, my guy. How have you been, dude? Haven't talked to you in a long time. It's my temple friend there good friend great dude glad you tuned in today though now getting back to this sat scores and act scores have always been a huge huge staple if you will of eligibility requirement for college athletes uh hence they went into jackie bridges is back thank you for tuning in you know we went through that stage where things were going kind of fishy and then we got into that prop 48 issue okay um there had been talk about due to the pandemic that this would not be um heavily touted in recruitment which is you know recruitment has been slow now because of the pandemic so ideally you would probably go with you know um the sat scores and things of that nature for eligibility but i understand why these coaches now uh, want this to be eliminated um, for a long time. Not for a long time. Since we've known it, it's been a disparity, a bias with these tests, these standardized tests, where a lot of minorities were denied eligibility because of their scores. Because of, again, the bias of the test. I, for one, I took, I didn't take the ACT, but I did take the SATs. You know, when I was coming up, we had the PSAT and the SAT. I took the SAT and just let's, let's just say, I'm not going to give you my exact score because I don't remember my exact score from way back then, but I would have been eligible to participate in a sport if, if that was the case, you know, when I, when I took the, um, the SATs. But for so many, it puts them behind the gun or behind the whistle, if you will. Howdy, my man, what's going on? It, it, it puts them in a different state than some of their counterparts. And people, you know where I'm going with this. 
a lot of times the minorities get the short end of the stick where it hurts them in a major way hurts them this the uh sat it, it really hurts them uh i am a mighty mouse thanks for tuning back in it usually hurts them where where they get behind the gun they use lose a year possibly or of eligibility and then they're left with three years to play now we have we have entered into this state of the one and done where again people were uh subventing or circumventing that losing eligibility by going from the high school to the pros that has been stopped and now there's a stable where you have to go to school for one year there's still a way to circumvent that where people have been going overseas emmanuel moutier and a couple other players that went overseas after they completed high school and then then it was changed to you had to be at least a year removed from high school to be eligible for the draft so there's been a lot of changes um along the way but for this to come up now, I think um, it is, is a great uh, point. I think it's something that, and what they're saying, and I'm just going to give you some of this real quick. So it's calling them longstanding forces of institutional racism. Like I just said, it's a biased test. And anybody that takes, anybody that has taken that test will know what I'm talking about. And this is, that was a quote from the National Association of Basketball Coaches. A longstanding forces of institutional racism is what they're saying about the SAT and the ACT. And it goes on to say, the NABC committee and racial reconciliation believes that the SAT and ACT are longstanding forces of institutional racism and no longer have a place in intercollegiate athletics or higher education at large. Tommy Amaker and uh, Frank Martin said in a joint statement they also said this is an important step towards combating educational inequality in our country we all we know it i mean you know it, it, it's it's prevalent if you've been around any sport any colleges you know uh in april the ncaa eligibility center waived the standardized test score requirement for incoming freshmen student athletes in both division one and division two for the 2021 academic year because of the coronavirus pandemic. So my question becomes, if we knew this all along, why did it take a pandemic to light the, really light the fire under these coaches to say that they wanted to eliminate it? They're losing players. They don't have, they get players that they're recruiting and then they look at their scores and then those players somehow, some way end up ineligible for some parts of their season in mean, whatever sport These coaches now have to work with whatever's there and ideally as a coach you want your full allotment so you can be the best that you can be you know uh when you don't have your studs as they like to call them or your stars as they like to call them you have to adjust some of these coaches at a lot of these big universities have a comfort level where they were so used to having multiple high star recruits that it made their job easier. They could easily plug in people 
because they know these guys are five star. These are the the better athletes, the better players. Excuse me, if you will. So now, if you continue to add this testing, and we know a lot of these star athletes are of minorities. I mean, basketball, football. Look at it all the way across the board. Heavy, heavy representation of us in them. So this will alleviate some of that pressure, if you will, for some of these coaches. It will make life easier for some of these coaches to uh, have this test eliminated, have these tests eliminated, and these guys or these women will be eligible right from the start. There won't be any gray area, if you will, about them participating or being able to participate um, as immediately as freshmen. You know, a lot of times you get teams that have players that redshirt. And there's a number of reasons why team, why players redshirt their first year. And more so, the idea or the premise behind them redshirting that one year is to regain that eligibility because they're going to have to sit out. So they want to regain that eligibility and have that extra year, if need be. This will kind of eliminate that where they'll be eligible right from the start and there won't be a necessary need for a red shirt, if you will. So I'm hoping that uh, this passes or they can get this done because, like I said, it will help everyone across the board, especially the kids, the youth, the athletes, who is who are the main focus of these programs. These are the kids, the athletes that make the programs what they are. It's not the coaches, it's not the board of directors of the school, it's not the boosters, it's the actual athletes themselves who actually get out on the floor and play and make, or floor court, whatever, and play and make these programs what they are. Um, the NFL Players Association has proposed an opt-out clause for at-risk players due to COVID-19. You know, a lot of stuff is changing due to this COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, the reality of this pandemic, which a lot of folk are still not truly seeing. And I say I revert back, hence to uh, the state of Florida, who was one of the first to open. State of Florida and Georgia, one of the first to open, who have hit a spike, a couple spikes. I mean, Florida had opened up. And then within a week, they were forced to shut back down because people will not listen. You know, they gave you a little bit of wiggle room and you just took it on full fledged like there was nothing going on. And then there was a spike in cases and, and things had to be shut back down once again. So the NFL Tuesday night um, has proposed an opt out player card. They're still not in agreement yet. But players still want daily testing, eliminated testing, a limit. They still want players. Players are in a tizzy. And this is what I meant when I said in my updates that players have blitzed the NFL with tweets about the safety issues or safety concerns about the restart. The players still want daily testing. They want elimination of preseason games and for COVID to be classified as a football injury. Now, that last part, I'm a little skeptical about. I don't think they're going to get that part because I don't think they're going to get that pandemic, that virus, to be classified as a football injury because 
you can catch that just walking around the street, if you will. It's no it has nothing to do with actual the actual playing of football. So I'm a little leery about that one for the players. I'm not sure if they're going to get that one. But these are some of the following proposals that were sent to the league in an effort to have financial stability if a player decides to sit out the season. An opt-out clause for at-risk players to receive a salary, but not bonuses if they do not decide to play. I'm okay with that. If it's put in that that is a medical risk, still get their salary. They just won't receive their bonuses. An opt-out clause for players with at-risk families to earn an accrued season and benefits if they decide not to play. An opt-out clause for players who leave the team after reporting teams uncertain. A $250,000 stipend guaranteed to all players if they show up to camp and everything is shut down because of COVID-19 concerns. That amount rises to $500,000 if the season starts only to be shut down. Not too sure about how the NFL owners will feel about that, but I think that's um, a good addition. Um, Both sides haven't defined at risk yet nor have they finalized how to apply for medical opt-outs. So this is still a work in progress. Like I said, it's a proposal. The following are considered high-risk individuals, and this is uh, per a league memo from June 7th. First one, of course, and this is on the list because of the percentage that is, makes up the league. African-American, Hispanic, or Pacific Islander. BMI, over or under 28. Sleep apnea. Hypertension, which also lumps into African-American, Hispanic, Pacific Islander. Altered immunity. Diabetes and cardiac disease. So we know what the percentages are of African-Americans or other minorities in the NFL, especially the African-Americans. We make up a huge, huge portion of the NFL. And it's just a little funny that that was first on the list. And then some of the other ones that are on that list as um, high risk are also incorporated into the African-American society or the minority society. There's some stuff to think about, folks. Just some things to think about. Also in the news, an update, we all heard, and I mentioned last week, that Dan Snyder and the Washington Redskins organization has been pressured to change their name, which a lot of people feel is derogatory to Native Americans. They have announced that they will change that name because of the pressure and things of that nature. And then another story pops up. Apparently, there have been at least 15 women who have now come out and said that there were some sexual inappropriate activities going on with executives of the Washington Redskins franchise. Dan Snyder has not been named in any of this, but you figure that old cliche, adding insult to injury, something's going on down in Washington, and a lot of people have been talking in the last few days or weeks whether this will tempt the NFL to think about forcing Dan Snyder out as an owner, forcing him to sell the team. So 
that's that. Now, on to our closeout. We have the must-see games of the NBA restart. As I stated to you earlier, 10 days away, regular season starts on July 30th. Sixers have their first scrimmage versus Memphis this Friday. So, first game on the list, July 30th. New Orleans Pelicans versus the Utah Jazz. I think this is on the list because of what could possibly become with the New Orleans Pelicans. I think their eight-game schedule has some games in there that could help them significantly and jostling for position uh, or seeding in the West um, as a playoff team. One that I am looking forward to, which would arguably name or label the cream of the crop in the West, Los Angeles Lakers and the LA Clippers, also on July 30th. That particular game could arguably be the preview of the Western Conference Finals. Like I said, this will allow us to possibly get a take on the cream of the crop uh, in the Western Conference. I think that these are the two teams that have been talked about the most in the West as title contenders. A lot of people, um, there's a disparity. It's not even an even split. I can't even tell you how much of a split it is, but I think it fluctuates from day to day. Some people think it's the Clippers. Some people think it's the Lakers who are set to win the title. But, like I said, these games will start July 30th, and we'll see. Portland Trailblazers versus the Memphis Grizzlies, July 31st. Two teams who have plenty, plenty to play for, who could, for Portland and Memphis, could jump into that eight spot or possibly move up a little bit higher than that eight spot. That's a key game there. The Boston Celtics versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Arguably, a lot of people thought that the Milwaukee Bucks would be the team to come out of the East. Here recently, there's been a lot of chatter about Boston being a surprise team. But I don't know about that. Uh, that could be a good game to see. We won't really know the Denver Nuggets versus the Miami Heat not sure why that game is on the list um it's a mixed kind con- of cross conference game maybe for Miami it could help them stay where they are or possibly move up out of that five spot or that four spot the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Houston Rockets uh some people say that this could be a preview of the NBA Finals if the Houston Rockets can get past the Clippers or and or the Lakers, we don't know. Houston Rockets versus the L.A. Lakers. Another one that could be a possible Western Conference final uh, matchup. Milwaukee Bucks versus Toronto Raptors. I don't know how I feel about this, but I think this one was included, in my opinion, because you have to pay respect to the reigning NBA champion, Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Just a game that will 
have a lot of meaning for the Sixers due to the fact uh, of the way that they lost to the Raptors in the playoffs last year. Still a bad taste, and it could be a proving game where the Sixers can prove that they can get over that hump and beat the Raptors, especially with the Raptors losing Kawhi Leonard. So they're a different team. The Sixers made some changes, and I think they are better uh, than what the Raptors are right now. Houston Rockets versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Another one that people have been hinting around or chattering that could possibly or arguably be a finals matchup. Not sure how it's going to work out, but we will definitely see very, very soon. L.A. Clippers versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. Another game that could have some implications, could not have some implications. We will definitely have to wait and see about that. Now, lastly, what I want to talk about is, and this fits with what's going on in society today, with all of the injustice, the institutional racism, and it's what I mentioned to you earlier in the show. Why baseball is losing black America. And this is how it starts. We're just going to go through this kind of quickly. Consider the experience of former All-Star Preston Wilson, who recalls learning country song lyrics and practicing one-liners from the movie Caddyshack enduring racist slurs and watching a teammate fiddle with the noose. You still wondering why the sport is losing black players? Well, let's get into it. Major League Baseball became the last U.S. professional sports organization to speak out about what's going on today in the wake of George Floyd murder and the Black Lives Matters movement. Uh, their statement was pretty weak, and this is what they said, and I quote, Our game has zero tolerance for racism and racial injustice. We will take the necessary time, effort, and collaboration to address symptoms of systematic racism, prejudice, and injustice, but will be equally as focused on the root of the problem. We want to be better. We need to be better, and this is our promise to do the work. We all know Preston's heard this comment and he said it, and I quote, definitely this statement could have been stronger. Okay. Still, the baseball, Major League Baseball, who celebrates annually, Jackie Robinson, said it wanted to do the work. So Wilson quoted, give me a call. But the commissioner office seems too worried about MLB to think about Black Lives Matter. It's been 44 days and no one from the league has called Wilson. That's too bad. He has some ideas on why baseball has lost much of black America. Moving on, he says that most fans during this euphoria didn't notice that Wilson was the only black player on his team at one point. Okay, and this goes back to... 2006 in the World Series when he was a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. He was the only black player on the team. His experience in baseball told a story of isolation. 
here we are. This is back 14 years ago. Throughout the minor leagues, he often felt like an exchange student trying to understand a strange culture. In his decade in the majors, he had teammates who came to his defense when fans yelled racial slurs at him. He once observed a white teammate construct a noose in the clubhouse. It didn't seem to be directed at him, but the teammate paled when he saw Wilson watching. He didn't want a confrontation, so Wilson never brought it up. Okay, Now, we all know the disparity in baseball. The average net worth of a white family in 2016 was 171000 The average of black family was significantly lower at 17150 mm. Baseball is a sport that more than any other rewards repetitions. So, for a black kid to pursue baseball, he must live in a town where baseball is prominent often a predominantly white town, or he must love the game, played more and more by people who don't look like him. If he is looking for sports as a way out, as Preston Wilson says, baseball is not the best option. The Division I schools grant 85 football scholarships. Men's basketball gets 13. Baseball gets 11 to distribute among roughly 35 players. So the ranks have thinned by the time players begin to enter the minor leagues. Then Stan, Coach Stan, what's going on? So he goes on to say, how many black players, how many black pitchers do you see, black catchers? They are, they are allegedly the two most cerebral positions, the only positions that are proactive rather than reactive. Many of the coaches see black players as pure athletes getting by on talent more than baseball IQ. So-called listen, people. More institutionalized racism. More. Of the 111 starting pitchers, only four who actually who threw more than 100 innings last year, only four were African Americans. Of the 178 relievers who pitched 50 innings, five were African-American. And 66 catchers who got more than 100 plate appearances, none were African-American. The Dodgers' Russell Martin is an African-Canadian. Managers tend to be former pitchers and catchers. So 11 of the, 30, 11 of the current 30 were one of the other. Black players are less likely to get a shot at that job. Executives largely come from a different pipeline. Hmm. Yeah. Major League Baseball lists eight league executives on its website. On its website, All are, you know what. If you're pulling your talent from Ivy League schools and Ivy League schools have racism baked in, your process has been... Your process has racism baked in. Quote from Mr. Wilson. He also believes that very few white players have considered the question of diversity in baseball in detail because it doesn't affect them. I can go along with that. One exception, he said, is former player uh, Dale Murphy. 
who tweeted that his son had been shot with a rubber bullet while protesting police brutality and added, and I quote, as terrible as this experience has been, we know that it's practically nothing compared to the systematic racism and violence against black life that he was pres- that he was protesting in the first place. Black communities across America have been terrorized for centuries by excessive police force. If you're a beneficiary of systematic racism, then you will not be able to dismantle to, to dismantle it at any at no cost to yourself. You will have to put yourself at risk. It might not might not, might not always result in being physically attacked but it will require you to make yourself vulnerable, end quote. Finally, Mr. Wilson says that Major League Baseball should expand this diversity fellowship program, which began in 2017 and places women and people of color in league and team offices. They need to recruit heavily for, for their internship programs at schools beyond the Ivy League. He pauses and says, I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth. I don't know what the answer is. I know what the outcome has been. There's a lot of times for African-American people, all we had was hope. So I'm hopeful. He hopes that the MLB will do the work that they say. He hopes the MLB will make progress. And he hopes that they will give him a call. He's got a lot to say there, folks. And with that, that wraps up today's show. I hope you enjoyed our topics today. Thanks for everyone that tuned in and chimed in. Video will go up later on YouTube. Podcast will go up probably tomorrow. Episodes always. You know where to find me. Sports Rap Radio shows the group page on Facebook where we are live right now. On Instagram and Twitter, it is at sportswrap underscore D. YouTube, Sports Rap TV, there are videos up there from last week and older videos. Please go check them out. Make sure you hit the like button, the thumbs up, and hit the subscribe button so you will be alerted when new video goes up. And finally, Sports Rap, not finally, but the Sports Rap podcast on iHeartRadio and mostly where you get your podcast. And finally, the webpage, SportsRapRadio.com. Be sure you tune in and follow me all week long. I give you updates and everything that I see. And then we're right back here each and every Monday with the full tilt of your past week and the weekend in sports. Heat 100 Radio, it's your boy D signing out. Another scorcher today. Stay safe, people. Stay cool. If you don't have to go out, don't go out. Check on the elderly and shut in. Make sure they're doing okay. Make sure they're cool. And hopefully we'll get through this week unscathed. Hopefully we can get to a point where we can start to reopen our cities. But people, you have to be mindful. Wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your social distancing, and just be mindful of what's going on with you, around you, and your families. Have a great day, folks. It's your boy D, signing out. I will see you all week on social media next week here, right back in the studio.